All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us today. It's kind of an unusual day for us uh, because we canceled our Sunday morning uh, service, and we rarely, rarely do that. But uh, for those of you who may not be aware, on uh, we have had blizzard conditions until midnight uh, Saturday night. So uh, we, knowing and anticipating kind of the weather thing, uh, decided to make a call early. So on uh, Friday, uh, the board and I decided that we would cancel services uh, on uh, Sunday. And the reason is we have people who travel through five different counties uh, here in order to come to church. Uh, we have people who drive over 40 miles uh, to get here. And many of those uh, miles are put in over uh, roads that are really susceptible to drifting. And uh, we have had county crews uh, just do an absolute amazing job of uh, keeping the roads clear as possible. Uh, but because of the light snow and because of the winds, uh, they, can, they can drift shut uh, or, or drift over very, very quickly within a matter of an hour. So um, we just decided that between that and the windshield temperatures, um, it, of 40 below or so, uh, we decided it would probably be to err on the safe uh, on the safe side. So uh, we do um, we do have a, an incredible group of people here who are committed uh, to this place. And I know that if we had services, if there's any way possible, we would still have a group here um, on Sunday morning. But we decided that basically because of um, uh, the county people who are involved in trying to make it so we can get here and EMS people and everything else, we just didn't want to put them at any more risk than they absolutely had to be. So we decided to go ahead and do this online. We haven't done this uh, since uh, COVID. Uh, during COVID, Cooper and I would come up here every week. We would record the message and put it online, and we did that for two months. So it's a little bit of deja vu uh, on Saturday afternoon, Cooper uh, Matt with me up here, and we recorded this uh, message so that it would be available to everyone on um, Sunday morning. So I want to encourage you to do two things today since we can't uh, meet physically. First of all, uh, I want to encourage you to pray. Pray for two groups of people in, specific, in, in particular today. Um, first of all, those who have to work out in these conditions. Uh, we have uh, farmers, we have uh, people who are involved in uh, law enforcement and emergency services, uh, things like that, that people that, that they have to be out in this environment um, just to keep everyone uh, safe. And uh, then we have another group of people here who, uh, in, and within our community, who have to travel to get to work in order to keep certain services open. So we have doctors and nurses and people who work in grocery stores and things like that, that uh, they have to go to work in order to be able to uh, keep some essential places open in spite of the weather. So uh, keep those people in your prayers uh, because uh, they do an invaluable service to us. And then um, the other thing that I would encourage you to do today is to call someone on the phone from the fellowship. One of the things that's big here is the idea of fellowship. And we love the fellowship. It's one of the things that we miss by not meeting in person on a day like today. Um, in fact, sometimes when we have the smaller crowds, as many of you know, it's one of my favorite times. 
because the fellowship just becomes a little bit more special. And so what I want to encourage you to do today is to pick up the phone, call somebody, uh, just encourage them, check in on them, see how they're doing, uh, and uh, let them know that you're thinking about them and praying for them uh, this week. Uh, as far as our housekeeping thing, one thing to be uh, uh, to remember, I guess, or to not forget this week is on uh, Friday night, uh, we're going to have our church family bowling activity. Uh, that's going to be up at the Plaza Bowl on Hamilton, uh, and that will be from 6.30 to 9.30. So if you have any questions, get a hold of me, but uh, that's a family event that we do once a year, and uh, we have a great time doing that. Uh, what I would suggest, if you are going to be at that event uh, and you're, you're somebody who really, really, really likes to bowl, uh, try to be there as close to 6.30 as possible because we rent the entire uh, facility, but the lanes fill up uh, fast. And uh, you'll get to bowl that night, but uh, if you're really, you really enjoy the bowling as family thing, try to be there as close to 6.30 as you can. So... Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get to our message then uh, for this day. So let's pray. Father, thanks so much for all you do in our lives. Uh, Lord, for the so many people that work in order for us to be able to have what we have, to be able to keep us safe, to be able to keep our roads open, to make sure that we have electricity, to make sure, Lord, that... We're able to connect even with, with phone services and cell phone services. And just so many blessings, Lord, that we have. Lord, for those that um, are involved in having to work outside in this, that, Lord, you just keep them safe. Uh, Lord, that you would, in a very unique way, bless and encourage their hearts. And then, Lord, for us today, Lord, as we're getting ready to open your word, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, that, Lord, you would use this time in our lives. Uh, to draw us closer to you and uh, closer to one another, Lord. And we look forward to being able to get back together soon. Uh, and so just guide our time, these things we ask in your name. Amen. Uh, we are going to continue uh, our series on the Beatitudes. And so we started last week and we introduced this idea of the Beatitudes. And it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And we talked about the idea that it was primarily a message to his disciples. And yet there was a crowd that had started following him. So Jesus pulls aside, sits down on the mountainside, and starts to talk about his kingdom and what following him is really all about. And the beginning part of that is what we know as the Beatitudes, where Jesus is going to talk about eight specific things that are part of his kingdom. And we talked last week about the idea that some of those things, um, are unique in that they are future, uh, they have a future promise associated with them, and yet they are also important enough to be able to practice in the present. And so this morning, we're going to look at the first of those Beatitudes, and it's found in Matthew chapter 4, and here's what it says. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, sat down, his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the first beatitude starts out with the idea of blessed are the poor in spirit. So let's talk about this idea of what it means to be poor, and particularly what the readers or the people listening to Jesus at that time 
understood when we're talking about the concept of being poor. First of all, let's talk about what it's not. It is not this idea of having a bad self-image about yourself. It's not about self-image at all, actually. Um, we're in a culture that puts a great emphasis on self-image, and we're, we're taught that in order to have a self-image, you have to think certain ways about yourself. And, do, and yet, when we look at it biblically, the whole idea of self-image is really rooted in the idea of who we are in Christ. And so it's not the idea of self-image. When Jesus talks about the idea of poor, we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. Uh, one of the questions that we have to struggle with is we have to have a comparison. We have to have a measuring tool to know something to compare whether or not we are poor or whether or not we are rich. If we were to use as a comparison tool, for instance, how many books do you have in your library? Chances are really good. I win because I probably have more books in my office and in my library at home and here at the church than many of you do. If, on the other hand, the comparison would be how many acres do you own? Uh, We have less than three acres on our farm property. Many of you have hundreds. Some of you have thousands. So I would lose and you would win. We have to have some kind of comparison tool to know what whether or not we're rich or poor based on that comparison standard. A key is knowing what that standard is. When we talk about the spirit things or things, spiritual things, the standard becomes Jesus Christ. And the idea is compare your life to Jesus Christ. That's the measuring tool. So the question is, when you compare your life to Christ, how do you measure up? How are you going to measure up in relationship to that? And one of the things that you understand, and this is one of the things that Jesus is saying here, In my kingdom, it starts with being poor in spirit. It starts with the brokenness. Now, you have to remember that many of the people Jesus is talking to, many of them have come from difficult backgrounds. Many of them are broken. Many of them are poor financially. Some of them are struggling uh, as far as poor health, and they're needing Jesus to heal them, or they're needing Jesus to fix them. So one of the things that you have to understand is that it really starts with with Jesus talking to broken people. Now, with that in mind, let's talk about the Greek world and the Jewish world or the Hebrew world at the time of Jesus. In the Greek world, there were a couple of ideas associated with this idea of poor. Um, One of the ideas is the and it's really the, probably the main idea that, that people think of in this culture, in the Greek culture, was the idea of poor had the idea of being a beggar. It really had the idea of destitute. Um, Homer, in his writings in the Odyssey, described it literally as a beggar. Uh, one writer at the time described it as a begging gypsy. Um, One of the writers used it of a rich man who was resorting to begging food scraps from soldiers. Uh, And ultimately, uh, in Plato's ideal world, in his utopia world, his utopia world did not have beggars. Beggars were not part of that perfect world. So you have to understand that in the Greek mind at this time, when Jesus uses the word poor, What comes to mind for most people is the idea of beggar. Also, in that Greek world, it was not a good word. 
It was not a world that had anything. No one wanted to be poor. No one wanted to be a beggar. No one wanted to be associated even with that word. So that's the mindset of the Greek people. Now, the Hebrew word, the Aramaic world, the, the, the word that, that kind of has a, in the Old Testament associated with this idea of being poor, has kind of an interesting history as you look through it, because it has evolved throughout history. Um, it started out originally meaning the idea of lacking. It then developed into this idea of it meant someone that had no power or somebody who had no, no uh, prestige or ability to defend themselves. Then it started to mean someone who was oppressed, someone who was in a, in, in a situation in which um, they were downtrodden. Um, when Jesus speaks, this is kind of the Hebrew idea that was predominant at the time. So it has this idea of being oppressed, of, have, of being downtrodden, of having um, this concept. Again, just like the Greek world, it was not something that anyone wanted to be a part of. So as Jesus speaks, he's kind of combining these ideas. He's kind of looking at them and saying, okay, let's talk about my kingdom. In my kingdom, it starts with people who are spiritual beggars. It starts with people whose foundation is they are begging for me to be a part of their life. Now, we don't have time this morning, but it's a fascinating study when you look at the life of Jesus and this idea of poor or beggar in his teaching and even in a bigger picture in the New Testament setting. Um, Jesus tells the story of the beggar and Lazarus. Uh, Jesus tells a story of a wedding feast where he says, you go out and you invite the beggars. You invite the, the people who normally don't ever get to come to a feast. Jesus tells a story of a widow with two mites. She was a, a poor person who had very, very little to give, but she gave out of, she gave, she gave um, to uh, the, the religious group of the time. She gave what she had at great sacrifice to her. Um, in the New Testament, we get to the book of James, for instance. This was the first book that the early church would have had. And one of the things that James addresses in that book is the way you're treating the beggars or the poor people. You're giving attention to the rich people instead of the poor people. So one of the things that you see is you see this overriding idea, even in the New Testament, of looking at this, at looking at this idea of poor as something that is not necessarily something that we should be um, negative or critical or, or, or uh, uh, push away off to the side. So, with that in mind, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, what does he mean? How does it apply to us this week? The first thing I think you have to understand is that when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, one of the things that he's saying is this, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, you have to understand you are poor spiritually and you need me. In other words, literally, you have to come to me and beg me to be a part of your life. Without me, you can't do anything. So you need to come to the point that you look at it and say, I need God more than anything else. It's interesting. When Jesus is teaching, one of the things that he talks about is the idea that it, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. One of the ideas is this idea of poor in spirit. 
Because often a rich person, particularly in that culture, would trust in their riches. So they didn't have a need of anything other than their riches. And that's why Jesus said it's so difficult sometimes for rich people because they don't understand that they're poor spiritually and they need God. And they need to come to a point that they're actually begging God to be a part of their life. One of the things that you see in this idea is Jesus is saying, look, let me talk to you first of all about my kingdom. My kingdom is filled with people who are poor in spirit. So Jesus is taking this Greek-Hebrew idea that doesn't have any good connotations, and he's saying, look, if you're going to be a part of my group following me, it's sourced in people who are poor spiritually, people who need me spiritually. So that's the first thing that we see is that we have to get to a point that if we're going to be a part of God's kingdom, we beg God to be a part of our lives. We become a beggar, poor, if you will, in spirit. Second thing about being poor is the idea that poor people have different priorities. Uh, One of the things that you see in uh, culture in particular is, um, I've learned this over the years, wealth is relative. Again, depending on what you are uh, comparing it to. Um, There was a great lesson. In 2004, we took a group to uh, Papua New Guinea to help one of our missionaries, Aaron and Lori Luce, and we we still support them. Um, And uh, when when we went to, to, to the island to help them, we helped them build some things while we were there. And this was a time, this is 2004, so in 2004, cell phones weren't popular. Um, uh, We were still taking pictures with actual film. Digital cameras were just starting to to come out. They were incredibly expensive. Even small small cameras uh, were were fairly pricey at the time. (laughs) One of the things that Aaron explained to us was he said, you need to understand that while you're here, um, you have to be very careful about the things that you have. He said, because in our culture, in the PNG culture, and again, this was a culture which people were still living in huts. He said, in, uh, on this island, he said, if you put something down and turn away or walk away, these people assume that you don't want it anymore. He said, so very often they will take it because they think you have walked away or you don't need it. So he said, be very careful when we're working about tools and things like that. Now, here's what was interesting in that culture. Again, no electricity. Um, no modern conveniences, living in huts, that kind of thing. I could take a $250 did, uh, camera, film camera, set it down on a stump, walk away for an hour or two, come back, and it would still be there. It had no value to these people. Uh, it didn't, it, there's nothing they could do with it. Uh, they, they couldn't develop the film. They didn't even know what the thing did. So for them, this had no value. To, to us, it did. It had a monetary value of, with, with You know, it was 200, 250 bucks back during that time. On the other hand, if we put 10 screws or 10 nails on a stump, turned around, and 30 seconds later turned back, it was gone. Because those had a tremendous amount of value to the people. Those had an incredible uh, practical value to the people. They could use that to put tin on their hut. So they could use those nails and screws. They could put one in the thing to be able to hang uh, their, their, their bag on or their, their, their shirt on at the end of the day. So for them, those had value, whereas something that 
was expensive in our world had no value to them. You see, poor people have a different priority. Um, I'll never forget, I was with a couple of farmers, and one guy was talking about all the tractors that he owned and antique tractors and what they were worth. And and I'll never forget, an old-time farmer, he said this. We were talking, and he said, let me tell you what your tractors are worth. He said, your tractors are worth, on the day that you sell them, whoever has the money to purchase them for the price you want. That is the only worth that they have. He said, you may want that amount for them, but you know what? If you don't have anybody there on that day that you need to get rid of it, guess what? You're not going to get it. That's not what it's worth. It's not worth what you think it's worth. It's what somebody else is willing to pay for it as far as worth goes. And one of the things that I think you have to understand is spiritually, what Jesus is saying is you have to be poor in spirit. You have to look at worth. You have to look at your value in regards to your spiritual life. You want to be rich in spiritual things. You want to be rich in spiritual things. Poor in material things or poor in earthly things or poor in things that in this world we tend to value. And one of the things that happens is when you become poor in spirit, your values change. You now start to value things that have a spiritual dynamic to them. You now start to want things that are valuable in the kingdom of Christ. So not only do we have this idea, this concept, that in order to be poor in spirit, we have to be beggars and really need God in our lives and really ask him to be a major part of our lives. Secondly, we have to change our priorities where God does have a major role in our world. And finally... We have to realize that poor people can't handle life on their own. They need somebody to help them. They need people to come alongside of them. One of the ways that you become independent is through dependence upon one another. That's what you see in the life of of, of people who are poor financially. They need other people to help them. One of the things that were happening is in the spiritual world, this is what happens. We need other people to help us. You've heard me say over and over again, the spiritual life is not a solo journey. We journey dependent upon one another. We focus on our dependence, on our turning to one another to help us as we go through this thing that we call life. I've watched this play out in the last month in so many different situations. I have heard this comment over and over and over again. I cannot believe the resources that I have within this family, this church family here. I've had so many people tell me, you know what? I didn't know we had a person who could do this and help with this and help with this and help with this. And we have a number of people who are going through some really difficult times right now, but they're going through it with other people who are walking beside them who have either already walked the journey or are walking the journey with them. And one of the things that they're seeing is they're seeing this value of being dependent upon one another and helping each other, and then getting healthy enough to be able to help somebody else as they go forward. So one of the things that you see in this is this idea that the kingdom of God is is composed of people who are poor in spirit, who are depending upon one another as they walk through this thing that we call life. One of the things that I would say to you is this. If you want to be a part of this kingdom, you've got to really want to be a part of God's kingdom. Literally coming to the point that you are begging him to be a part of your life. 
you have to start to change then your priorities and you start to value things that, that are valuable in the kingdom of God. You have to depend upon one another. You have to look at one another as um, an opportunity to A, even min- either minister to them or allow them to minister to me. And that's what the kingdom of, and that's what Jesus is laying out in this thing. He said, look, guys, again, he's primarily talking to his disciples, but other people are listening. He's saying, look, guys, my kingdom, this is what it's about. This is about people who are beggars, people who want me to be a part of their life, who are in the process of changing their priority, and who are working together with one another as poor people, dependent upon other people. So one of the things that you guys have to realize is you can't handle life on your own. You need me, and you need to beg me to be a part of your life, and you need to keep me at the center of it. So a blessed man, a truly blessed man, is someone who recognizes that he needs God. He puts his wholehearted trust in God. And he basically then works on changing his priorities into the kind of priority that are true of the kingdom of God and his people. So I end this morning with this idea. A truly blessed man recognizes he needs God. And he begs God to be a part of his life. He places his complete trust in God, and he depends on God completely. He desperately needs God every day. How much of your day acknowledges that you are totally dependent upon God? Because that is the test of being poor in spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for the day. Lord, not a day that we would expect or anticipate, but Lord, a day that you have given us. So Lord, even though we have to meet online, even though Lord, we have to uh, listen to a message, may you help us to apply it to our hearts. May we, even on a day like this, Lord, be dependent upon you for everything that we do. And Lord, we may help each other as we try to live out your principles in this world. So Lord, use us this week. And guide us, and may you be honored and glorified in all that we do. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening, Lord willing. We will be able to see many of you next week. So, Lord bless you, and have a great week.